You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry Parker and I, Niels Kostrup-Larsen, are back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series, where each week, we give you a raw and honest account of what it's like to be a rule-based investor, what news and articles caught our attention, and of course, where we also attempt to answer all of your questions. And as they say in the financial news channels, Moritz Siebert is out on assignment this week. So it's just you and me, Jerry. How are you? Doing great. Um, Good stuff. It's, hap- it's Mother's Day here in the States, so I'm not sure if Europe has a Mother's Day, but... Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Yeah, happy Mother's Day. Unfortunately, I am uh, not home celebrating Mother's Day. I'm actually in Monaco today. Uh, not that I'm complaining, but, you know, I can't be there to uh, to do what what men should do for, for the mothers, of course. Um, and, um, you know, getting ready for a conference uh, starting tomorrow here in uh, Monaco. And I saw that... Uh, I saw you had a tweet out this week um, in relationship to uh, to conferences, something about the you know the, the you know hedge funds stayed away from the glimmer or whatever the you know the glamour of the conference circuit. Yeah, I was uh, sipping on some Pinot Noir this weekend, and uh, that's always dangerous when you uh, start tweeting. <laughs> but uh, you know, you and I have been uh, in the CTA business for a long time. If, over 30 years for me. Uh, yeah. So we've been to a lot of conferences and they're mostly just fun events. And uh, But they're a little frustrating in that uh, there's, there's a lot of money spent and not a lot to show for them outside of hanging out with your friends and drinking more Pinot Noir. But uh, so this article uh, <clears throat> I saw in the Wall Street Journal, the headline is Hedge Funds No Longer Stars of their flashiest conference. So SALT, I guess, has right. lots of uh, political people and uh, non-hedge fund tr- guys who are sort of featured, I guess, to get, to get uh, the attendance up or whatever. And I just remember over the years, I didn't feel like that uh, a lot of the conferences that you and I would go to, that the CTAs were sort of featured at a CTA conference. So I, I yeah. guess to maximize the revenue for these conferences, that, that uh, they're not... They're not always going to be CTA centric or hedge fund centric to entertain people. Uh, it's a little frustrating over the years to deal with that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And then maybe there are some conference uh, organizers listening to our conversation today. And I, I think it there. I think there's a danger uh, in the, the way these things have uh, changed. I mean, I remember back in the ooh, this would have been probably in the uh, in the early 90s uh, when it was the MFA. And as you rightly pointed out back then, it was the Managed Futures Association, not the Managed Fund Association. And, you know, in, at those conferences, you would go there and you would have uh, at least an hour with the investors. It would usually be decision makers showing up. And you could really have, in I certainly remember some conferences where we would have, you know, 20, 30 really long, solid meetings. Um, nowadays, not only has it turned into this speed dating where you get 15, 20 minutes with each, but I think they're struggling to to get the number of investors because um, I think a lot of, uh, at least a lot of the people I've spoken to on the CTA side, 
uh, you know, struggling to get the the number of meetings that would even justify you uh, spending time and and money to uh, to go through this. So I think they need to to up the ante a bit um, and uh, and make sure that there's enough investors and there's enough interest for the strategies they want to show. You know, want to have uh, show up at these conferences. So uh, yeah, I think um, you know <clears throat> what's been more popular than you know podcasts and trading podcasts uh, to listen to traders and listen to managers. It's just so much fun to hear it. We're bringing on more outside people <clears throat> plus uh, the experiences that we've had. And then what books are more popular than uh, market wizards and interviews of traders. And I just, yeah. uh, and I can remember back the very few times that I've gone to these conferences and a star trader, uh, David Harding or Paul Tudor Jones or someone like that spoke because it's so rare, and yet it's so much fun to hear, uh, you know, from these famous and uh, successful traders that uh, it is a little surprising that uh, there's not a keynote speaker from Aspect or Winton or Transtrend or uh, <clears throat> Bridgewater, some trader type uh, done. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of famous traders out there with long track records that are still crushing it. And, uh, I mean, even though the CTA performance has been down a little recently, but uh, yeah, it's, it's at least that's what turns me on is listening sure. to and reading about famous traders. They talk too much. They tell too many good secrets. <laughs> well, one interview I saw this week that I felt was very good was about a certain turtle um, that I speak to every week uh, on Real Vision. So well done, Jerry, on uh, you know, making in it to uh, to that media platform, which is, seems to be growing from uh, strength to strength. So, uh, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I had fun with Joe Perry doing that. He's a uh, good interviewer, and we had we had a fun time in New York. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was a kind of a, 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 an alternative way into today's uh, episode. Uh, talking a little bit about uh, these things. But of course, um, it was a week where there was uh, clearly an elevated level of volatility in the stock markets. Um, and uh, we know that's obviously because of uh, other tweets, not necessarily your tweets, Jerry, but other tweets, let's put it that way, and uh, a US-China uh, trade talk. Um, but I think generally speaking, I think trend-following strategies um, uh, did okay. That's my 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 sense. Um, and from a market perspective, of course, um, you know, stock markets uh, were hit. Uh, even though they they tried to make up for it on on Friday, um, but uh, you know there were moves, big moves in grains. Uh, there were um, big moves in things like cotton. Uh, certainly on the downside and on the upside, I noticed that, of course, not surprisingly, VIX had a big move up um, despite giving back a lot uh, yesterday, um, and um, and fixed income markets, uh, you know, had a bit of tailwind as well so so with that in mind uh i usually say more it's take it away but maybe today i have to start uh you know i have to start today telling a little bit about how we uh, saw the week um from our perspective and um, you know it was a solid week on our side uh and a, and a pretty good start to the month of may as well um and um but it was you know, once again, certainly in recent times, I mean, the grains really played a key role for us this week. Um, you know, good gains from from this continued 
downtrend that we see. Um, and in some of these markets, it's, they're, they're really strong downtrends. Um, and um, we also saw some weakness in, in cotton, uh, which um, I think could potentially have been our biggest uh, winner this week. So, you know, nice to see these kind of smallish markets also uh, having an impact on performance, uh, you know, especially for those of us who believe in diversification. Um, so that's good. And of course, I mean, fixed income every time there's a tailwind at the moment uh, with the lower yields as a result, um, it's it's useful uh, for us. It's useful, I think, for most trend followers because that's where the big trends have been recently. Um, so that uh, helped as well. And then we lost, um, you know, a bit of money on stocks. We lost a bit of money on currencies. Um, but other than that, um, it, was a, it was a pretty good week overall. How did it um, pan out for, for you, Jerry, on your side? Yeah, it sounds very similar uh, to our experience uh, this week, uh, last week. Uh, it was a nice uh, rally in cotton over the past couple months, and it, we sort of held on. That's a nice one. It's good to see that the uh, longer-term trend can reassert itself after a un, uh, uncomfortable rally. So, uh, and yeah, you know, like I said, we are baking the grains as well, uh, canola, <clears throat> but uh, corn, wheat, and soybeans. And uh, milling wheat, we trade that as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> everything else is pretty quiet. Dollar pretty quiet, a uh, little sell-off in stocks. But yeah, sort of a positive week. Yeah. Well, are there any of the Single stocks, I mean, I don't know if you looked recently, but I mean, are there any of the single stocks? I mean, of course, with these big moves we've had in equities, uh, generally speaking, so far this year, um, how, what what happens in a single stock portfolio? Do they all just go on uh, on, 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 on a rally or, or are there still actually uh, equities with even, I mean, even within your portfolio that, that uh, are still in a downtrend or are they all now pointing in the same direction? Oh, no, there's some in a downtrend, some in an uptrend, whatever, you know, it's just like all the other markets as if they were not related. There's all sorts of different chart patterns. Southwest Airlines this uh, hasn't moved in a long time. It's sort of sitting there in the middle of consolidation. Uh, McDonald's and Starbucks made new highs this week uh, on yeah. Friday. So <laughs> it's just sort of like uh, there's nothing going, everything looks different. Uh, and then all of a sudden, everything for a day, a week, or a month, it all goes in the same direction. Yeah. And maybe you get short, maybe you get bounced out of the longs, or maybe you don't. Um, so it's lots of diversification until you have a week like this week where, you know, almost every stock is down when the Dow is down uh, 500 or 400. So <clears throat> you just got to hold on and hope you don't get knocked out of everything unless we have a new downtrend coming, which doesn't seem like we are going to have or have had. So, sure. yeah. There's certainly a lot of opinions around this. I mean, I listen to other podcasts with people that, uh, you know, uh, to a large extent, uh, I, you know, I respect their opinion, even though, of course, as, as we talk about on, on our podcast, that we we don't, you know, we don't put a lot of, um, you know, um, I wouldn't, the, the, the word is not value, um, but we don't, you know, we don't have much confidence in 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 sort of the, the discretionary type, uh, fundamental type analysis. Uh, we prefer the the rules based, um, but there are people with obviously uh, interesting uh, opinions. What again? This is uh, you know there was certainly uh, one out uh, one podcast out this week um, where they had this guy from Nomura 
uh, Charlie McElliott and his CTA model. And it's it's interesting. Uh, and this was Macro on Vac- uh, Macro Voices, a great podcast uh, with Eric Townsend. And uh, and um, and but it's funny how in those type of scenarios, um, this CTA model gets a lot of positive um, um, coverage. Um, even though when I listen to it, I would say it's not really a CTA model how I would understand it. Um, uh, you know, there's some, certainly some momentum uh, indicators, but it it doesn't it doesn't seem to me that it's operated how we as trend followers or CTAs operate. But it gets a lot of coverage because it's portrayed as something saying, "Oh, if we have to hit this level, then the signal is going to go from you know 100 percent long to 60 percent long." So there must be a lot of selling coming through the system and so on and so forth. So I, I'm not so sure why there's so much importance being put on that particular uh, model because I don't think that's really how it, it works in, 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 our, in our industry, uh, at least. Um, how about some, uh, a little bit of social media? Tweet? We got lots of questions this week. Uh, so, um, so that's great. And, and thanks so much for sending them in um, and uh, keep, them, you know, keep them coming. Send them to info at toptradersonblog.com so we can dive into that. But um, Jerry... Twitter land this week. How was that for you? Uh, quite a couple of fun things to talk about. <clears throat> uh, Cliff Asness at AQR. Uh, it's a friend. Uh, he's a trend follower in some of his products. So we can. he was in Chicago speaking and catching a lot of grief for performance and the lack of performance for his factors and for momentum. Um, in his response, I, a couple of articles, I tweeted his response to the criticism uh he says he intends to stick like grim death to his beliefs and work on improving his explanations to help investors better understand what he offers quote we don't have a strategy problem but we do have an intuition problem uh, we don't know if there is a long-term problem or if there's a short-term thing a reaction has been a non-reaction we think it's a blip and the fundamentals in the markets haven't changed. It's a gradual deterioration rather than a sudden cliff edge. No pun intended. So I think this is a typical strategy that uh, we all would have is that we still like what we do. It, we can have, uh, unfortunately, longer term periods of underperformance than we like. But uh, we're going to stick with it and <clears throat> trade smaller or preserve capital and uh, try to get through period that doesn't perform uh, as well as the stock market which is free and easy and it beats everybody and it's beating us and uh so no surprise but i thought um, they got a lot of reaction and i think people like for you to stick to what you do but they like to see it start performing yeah i mean that is the challenge isn't it um and um and it's also this challenge about um you know a lot of people when when they don't perform uh, then there's this tendency to go back to the drawing board and make some changes, et cetera, et cetera, which is, of course, can be a dangerous thing to uh, to to change. I mean, it's this debate, you know, should I change because it's not working? Um, but if I do change, uh, you know, may I miss out um, if, if markets start to come back in, in, in their normal fashion? I mean, I think still... Um, and and I, you know we have a lot of respect on on, on this podcast for for AQR and and, and Cliff Asness and f- for what they do, um, but I always come back to this point because it's something that 
uh, obviously we debate very frequently on 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 the show about you know has trend following stop working or is it less efficient and of course we would argue and i think still the data suggests that all strategies will go through periods of of underperformance or low performance um but i do worry myself uh, and i know i've said this a thousand times i mean i do worry about um people trying to do trend following um, with these enormous amount of money, um, thinking that that doesn't have an effect on performance, I just haven't seen it ever um, that it that it doesn't you know compromise performance if you want large AUM, um, and that and and I think that's a big challenge um, for for many people. The temptation of of growth when you can get it uh, seems to often take uh, the upper hand. Uh, in these businesses, and and I think it's a shame because it it leaves the whole industry slightly uh, with this image that things don't work. Um, but uh, you know, I think you and 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 we and 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 others are testament to the fact that it continues to work. Um, and but it doesn't mean it work every month, every quarter, every year. But it, you know, no no investments uh, or investment will will do that, of course. Um, but there's a lot of pressure from investors because they have to report to their clients. Um, so I understand the scrutiny, but it's um, it's a tricky balance. Tricky balance indeed. Yeah, and everybody, uh, there's lots of articles that we read all the time about the majority of the money going to the continuing to go to the largest firms. So to some degree, mm. uh, the problems with large AUM is being fed by investors as well out of uh, safety or yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I, yeah, no, I, that's absolutely a good point. That the people complaining about lack of performance could potentially be the cause of it because they all go to the same names. Um, so that's, I think, that's a very valid point. Um, yeah, what else um, did you see, in, or what else got good reactions or bad reactions, so to speak? Well, I had a big rea- The biggest reaction uh, <clears throat> was from an article that I got from Elm Partners, Elm Funds, mm-hmm. uh, who was interviewing a NYU professor who was talking about momentum. It seems to be favorable for momentum. Um, and this one, this one uh, I don't know why it got so many likes, but it was the big, one of the biggest ones this year. Uh, he goes, he says, pretty much all of trading can be summarized into two groups. You can either be a momentum player or one who detects shifts in momentum and tries to go against momentum just before it changes. So all trading is built around momentum or anti-momentum. <clears throat> so we have a lot of, I have a lot of followers who are interested in trend following, like trend following and momentum. So that was an article that they really liked. Uh, he has lots more good quotes in there, but uh, that was the favorite one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I have much to say about that. I think that's absolutely true. Um, and I, th- you know, I think you know it, it is obviously true that you're going to go with momentum. You're going to, or you're going to go against momentum and with mean reversion. But then, uh, to complicate it even more, you have everyone out there with different definitions of momentum. One mm. one day, two day, or for me, it's hundreds of days of momentum. So. That's it's very confusing, and I guess you can use momentum any way you want to uh, give yourself a, a high grade. Yeah, it, it reminds me of our conversation. I know we've referred to it a couple of times already. 
even though it's only a few weeks ago, but our conversation with Wayne, where he kind of told the story about how he was observing all of his colleagues as a young kid uh, getting you know, into this industry and they were all doing mean reversion. And, and he thought to himself, well, you know, maybe I should try mean expansion, which is obviously momentum. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it all, it all boils down to, I guess, uh, one side or, or the other of that, of that coin. Yeah, everybody needs uh, something to move. And back to the AQR study we talked about last week, it seems that there hasn't been a lot of movement um, in the markets that we've traditionally had to produce profits for trend followers, so except equities. And so now we offer people mm. lots of other markets and other than uh, equities and some shorts, and we underperform. <clears throat> um, <laughs> which leads me into maybe the, the final one that we can talk about. Um, sure. This was a study done by Lixor, uh, talking about CTA strategies. Uh, had a good April, I think. Um, yeah, April. And uh, I got some criticism from for this tweet, uh, but uh, it wasn't mine. It was just a quote. Uh, Despite the poor performance of CTAs in 2018, investors should keep in mind that over the past 20 years, CTAs outperformed equities with a low correlation to global stocks lower volatility in returns, and a lower max drawdown, 23% drawdown versus 55% for stocks. So ah, 20 years, that's, you know, you got to go back a long time. And maybe I was, uh, this article was being accused and me as well of cherry picking 20 years. Yeah, yeah whatever. I don't know. But uh, there are people out there who uh, love trend following and they listen over the years and how wonderful it is. They have good experiences and it goes a few years without performance and it get very uptight and negative. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've done that, uh, over the years as well. And, um, with my sports teams, I've often mentioned how, uh, <clears throat> one of the biases or human failings in life is not liking losses and the losses being more hard on you than the winners. And so, uh, Maybe this feeds into taking small profits, smaller profits, and not limiting your losses. Uh, and I feel the same way in sports. And uh, <clears throat> there's been a few times over the years that my teams have let me down so much that I kind of turned on them all of a sudden, where I was like anti the Atlanta Braves when I was in my 30s. And uh, they just would always win their division and lose in the playoffs. And it just became where I just had to root against them to preserve my sanity. And I feel like that this is something that's maybe happening with former uh, f- friends of trend following is that they've just had it and uh, it's ruining their day and their life to continue rooting for the strategy. Uh, no, I mean, I think there's some truth to it. And I think that's one thing that maybe is uh, something that we don't think uh, much uh, about, but I think it is very relevant and I heard it uh, in a meeting, um, you know, last year. Someone saying, "So, uh, so we meet this firm and we had lots of money under management, zero allocation to trend following." Um, and the guy goes and he says, "You know, I know I'm biased against trend following because I came into this industry in 2009, and it hasn't really made any money since 2009, which is not entirely true." maybe for for the indices, but not for individual managers. But anyways, so he was aware of his own bias against the strategy. And, and I'm just thinking, of course, I mean, your entry point will have a big 
influence uh, on and and maybe so and, and I'm this is pure speculation of course but but maybe a lot of um, you know let's just say maybe a lot of journalists out there who've only been around you know 10 years don't really have a great impression of the strategy so it's easy for them to kind of find negative uh, associations uh, when they write their articles um maybe people who came into you know the equity world um in um uh in 2000 and and saw what happened uh and the losses uh and two big 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 drawdowns in 10 years and it took you know 10 years at least to you know make back the money you lost if you had invested right around 2000 i mean i remember i started in I, I think I, I started in the uh, investment area of the bank where I worked in 1987. So clearly that had a big impact on me. I think, you know, historically I had probably been risk averse because that was my first experience was to see all these clients lose all that money in, in, in the fall of 87. So I think it stays with you. So I think there's some something about that um, and so it'll probably take a long so so when they object to you know picking a 20 year I mean you know sure I mean they can have their objections uh, and their biases but you know whether you know of course you should have to pick a longer period you can't just pick 10 years because that would have been unfair if you looked at 2000 to 2010 for equities so you have to go beyond these uh, cycles so whether it's 20 years or 25 years the truth of the matter is that a lot of people don't want to, you know, accept what the data is showing them. And 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 there is never been a white paper written that suggests that, you know, if you combine what we do with stocks and bonds, you actually get a better risk-adjusted return uh, out of it. Um, yet a lot of people won't accept that and they still think that equities, just because they've done well in the last 10 years or so, is the only game in town. Uh Good stuff. Any anything else from social media, or do you want to jump into some questions, Jerry? Uh, let's do some questions. Now, the first one, um, the first one. I'm not so sure. I don't really know what the question is. Um, well, I do. It's from Brian, um, and Brian has uh, sent in questions before. So, thanks for this, Brian. I think what Brian is bringing up is is the VIX. Um, I mean, he he says that he it the VIX confuses me, um, and 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 you know and 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 then the, the the question is really, do trend following traders regard VIX futures uniquely compared to prices of other futures? And I can certainly answer that from from our point of view, Brian, and and that is yes. I mean, I mention the VIX often because it has usually either the highest move of the week or the lower, you know, either up or down, but the VIX is not a market that we found a way to make money from um, as a long-term trend follower. Maybe if you were short-term, super short-term trend follower, and I don't even know if you can define a super short-term guy as a trend follower, but if you could, um, then maybe there's a ways to to make money from that. But but in our case, uh, yes, we do trade the VIX, but that is the only thing we do which is not trend following. And so it has a very, very, very small role in, in what we do um, at all. So yeah, the VIX is a, um, it is a unique, um, it is a unique market, uh, but it could offer potentially a, an uncorrelated return stream for, for people who trade it. Um, but 
I think the, the more interesting question in my mind, I'd love to hear your opinion about this, Jerry. Um, and that is that volatility, and let's just call it volatility expressed through the VIX, um, it used to be a measurement. It used to be something that whereby we would describe risk. But now, and, and this is probably right, falls right into your lap in terms of uh, topics you have strong opinions about. But nowadays, and, and, and you know, most investors actually use that measurement to size their positions, to do their risk management. I will say that it is important to understand that this is something trend followers have been doing for decades. So for us, sizing positions based on volatility is no nothing new. I think what is new about it is that in the last 10 or 15 years, everybody seems to be doing it now. And I do think that is an interesting conundrum. Um and potentially a source of uh, risk that is well hidden in the system. Oh, what do you mean by well well hidden? Well, meaning that if we then have a sudden explosion of volatility, then a lot of, and this goes back to probably your point about not necessarily just vol adjustment, but, but generally speaking, people who are then sitting with their portfolios looking at at this expansion of volatility across the board, they all have to reduce their risk if indeed they take volatility into account, which I suspect most people do. Um, and that could cause, uh, you know, some, you know, massive run uh, to, the, to the same exit, so to speak, uh, in the markets. Um, and maybe we saw a glimpse of it last year or whether last year was a liquidity event or a vol event. I think there are, people in both camps um but 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 it is unusual i guess that you today have so many people doing the same thing when it comes to position sizing relative to when you and i started in this business where there wasn't much talk about sizing positions based on volatility i mean risk parity as a strategy which is very popular today didn't exist back then yeah i think uh so often we talk about these same subjects, and we're—I guess I'm not—we're not clear. I'm not clear, <laughs> and people get uptight and, and point out these contradictions that we try to uh, explain. Uh, but uh, uh, I guess it's worth it to say I think s setting up the relative positions in your portfolio: Euro, dollars, S and P, gold, silver, corn, wheat, yen, Swiss, etc. You know, I think it's a decent strategy to use the inverse of the volatility. And then that's where I stop. Mm -hmm. I'm done trying to normalize the losses, give each trade the same uh, room. And, uh, and you don't really get into too much trouble with fall changes, you know, if it's um, shortly after you put the trade on, it's going to keep going and turn into a winner or it's probably going to turn into a loser pretty quickly. It turns into a loser pretty quickly. It's probably not going to be a lot of fall expansion. Um, but then, as it does turn into profits, uh, part of trend following is the trends, and then the vol heats up, and then you get this supersized position. 
probably not going to have that trade turn into a loss, but it is a little uncomfortable, even if it's a nice profit, for it to be higher vol and not to make that vol adjustment down. And like you said, a lot of people do. They say, well, it's doubled in volatility. Even though it's a nice profit, I'm going to scale that back. So I think uh, the problems that I see with that is you <clears throat> promises are made to keep the vol in a certain range, the portfolio vol, and there's not a lot of delay. You don't really have a lot of discretion when uh, you've made this promise. And so, right, everybody maybe runs for that exit to trim the positions a little bit uh, almost at the same time. Unlike getting into a trend-following trade. I mean, you're entering one day. I could enter a week later. Uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, there's no urgency to sort of say, well, this is the place you must enter the trend or exit the trend. We all have our different lookbacks and uh strategies but uh the vol targeting and the volatility adjustment that's going to kind of come at the same time for lots of different people and it's not mm -hmm. the small guys it's the billions dollar firms that are throwing uh <clears throat> s p's around sunday night and it you know can lead to big sell-offs so yeah this is uh definitely um finessing yeah, that i you would think would be a better strategy than uh sort of indiscriminately, you know, trying to uh, measure that fall and take care of it right away. And what usually happens is, well, not usually, but sometimes what happens is that uh, the very trade that had to be done to get the vol, to get the position uh, in line with the vol creates another trade because now vol is even higher. So it <laughs> feeds on itself. It's, it's we're out of control. It's chaos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, when 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 we talk about these things, I think it is important to, at least in my opinion, I mean, you may have a different opinion, but but by my opinion, I think the amounts of money that you know targets volatility in terms of strategies, I think CTAs and trend followers, we are in the minority here. I really don't think that we are the ones, you know, doing a lot of these on on a, on a total basis. I don't think we are the ones moving the majority of 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 of, of the trades uh, compared to risk parity and, you know, long short equity, whatever it might be. I mean, I think there's a lot other strategies plus just underlying investors who are not necessarily engaging a manager, but just managing the, you know, the big pension funds or whatever. They're just managing their own portfolio, but also have something similar uh, in, in their approach because they may have read about it and, and, and so on and so forth. So, but, you know, it's an interesting point and, and Brian just, to clarify, no, I would say probably when it comes to the VIX, it's not something you would have a lot of success trying to to do as a as a trend follower. Um, next question is from Kevin. Uh, this is about uh, commodities. Uh, Kevin writes: Do you think there is any reason to believe that an increase in, in institutions investing in long only commodity strategies post two thousand eight could be contributing to the reduction in trends at least? in one direction. So I'm going to let you start on this one, uh, Jerry. Oh, can you repeat the question? My brain was thinking of uh, the VIX again. Sure. Sorry. <laughs> sure. Um, Kevin writes, do you think that there is any reason to believe that an increase in institutions investing in long-only commodity strategy post-2008 could be contributing to the, to the reduction in trends bracket at least in one direction. I, I mean, he's probably thinking of short, even though 
not so sure if that's the really what happened. But anyway, do you have any thoughts about impact of institutions investing in long-only commodity funds? I don't. I, don't. I mean, I think, I didn't know that it was still a big thing. <clears throat> uh, I know it was big uh, 06, 07, yeah, 08. Mm. But I didn't yeah. know it was still out there. I think, uh, I do think that institutions and uh, people investing in long only stock funds uh, probably is fueling the rally and uh, yeah. that sort of stuff. But uh, I don't, I doubt if, you know, as the commodities continue to go down, <clears throat> I'm not sure why, if there's a lot of buying into uh, commodity index funds, why. They're not going up like the stocks are going up. So now I'm confused by that. Yeah, no, my, that's, uh, I, I kind of sit back with the same uh, feeling on that. That first of all, I don't know that actually commodities have been on a long, uh, on an up, on a, on a massive uptrend, uh, you know, and certainly not in recent times. Um, someone um, I read many years ago, uh, an analysis, and I think this was maybe some of the bigger commodity markets like gold, et cetera, et cetera. But it could well be true for other commodities as well. And that is if you look over a 30 or 34 year cycle of commodity prices, actually the majority of the time commodity prices go down. But they still move up uh, probably over time, but it's, it's a shorter time frame where they really move up. So uh, and I, I, you know, I don't know if 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 these cycles are really that impacted, or whether when we see big institutions coming into the markets, well, that's exactly what makes up these, you know, one third, one, you know, forty percent of the time where the markets do move up. I don't think necessarily that 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 changes. I, I, but I do agree with you on on the equity side that that there has been a big shift in the way people invest in equities through these passive funds and. And that certainly has put a uh, some tailwind in, in in equity markets in in recent years. But you know, um, but you know, we appreciate the question, Kevin. Um, next question is from James. Um, this is a long one, so let me try and distill it a little bit. Um, ah, okay, this is interesting. This is completely different from yeah. And th- let me just say this. Um, generally speaking, we get a lot of questions about. You know the, the the trading side for good reasons. The trading side and how to uh, create models or how to think about certain things within your model um, on the podcast. But we are equally interested in questions from investors. You know how to use trend following in your portfolio and and so on and so forth. So uh, so feel free to send us uh, some of this. Um, so the question here actually is slightly different. This is about how to, and, and I think this is underappreciated by many people. They think the hard part of running a CTA business is developing the models and trying to get the best possible models. I actually think nowadays the hardest part is to grow the business, uh, frankly, um, because without clients, uh, it doesn't really matter how good your model is. Anyway, so the question is a really, little bit related to that, I think. Um, so James is writing, I do have a, a question for all of you, uh, which is related to getting a fund up and running. My experience to date is that it is very, very hard. The barrier to entry these days uh, with startup costs and regulations seems to be uh, impenetrable unless you have fallen out of Goldman Sachs uh, and been given a large seat ticket. 
I believe I have developed, tested, and now traded on a personal account for three years, a strategy that could easily fit nicely as part of a diversified portfolio for high net worth individuals, uh, albeit a considerable part, because like all of you, I firmly believe, um, based on the analysis I've done, that a CTA only starts to add value to a portfolio when it has an allocation of at least 20%. I would be really interested to get your thoughts on how emerging traders who um, are self-taught can go from managing personal money to third-party money in the current regulatory environment. Um, So a different question, but a question both you and I have faced in our career. So what, what say you, Mr. Parker? Boy, I wish I knew the answer to that. That's a tough question. I not, um, Inexperienced or experienced, I think it's tough to get going and uh, impress people today with your sort of systematic approach. I I would suggest, I have no idea how to do this, but I can guarantee you that one of the best ways of doing this is to uh, find somebody to work for. You know, I think uh, a person who is working with software, their spreadsheets or whatever, coming up with their own system, uh, they don't really understand and realize uh, the deficiencies and how somebody else can help them along the way and getting in with a group of traders or a trading firm in some way um, and just uh, planning on it being a long uh, road. But starting out on your own in this particular business <clears throat> and then saying, hey, why, why won't someone hire me? Can't you see by this evidence that I have that I have a great system and it should fit in uh, wonderfully? Uh, no, that's uh, not something that's probably going to happen too often unless you have um, a reputation in, uh, in another way, a PhD or I don't know. But I definitely am a big fan of learning from others, uh, paying your dues, make this a long-term project, you know, um, as it relates to uh, understanding that just because you may even have a great idea and a great approach, uh, it may still take longer than it should or you want it to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree with with all of that. I think it has become. I mean, I I I agree with James. I mean, it has become really, really tough to uh, start and launch. Not just a CTA business, but you know, any investment uh, business with with regulation as it is. But I think also with the appetite from investors to to seed uh, and and be early. I think there's less and less appetite uh, within the investor community for that. And if there is nowadays, a lot of them require some really uh, tough conditions to be put in place. Uh, You know, even things like, you know, first loss uh, clauses where the manager has to absorb the first loss themselves and so on and so forth. So it is hard. And, um, you know, having been on that side of the business for, for more than 30 years, I would say that uh, it's probably the toughest environment that I've ever experienced. But it doesn't mean that it can't be done. Um, but I think it requires uh, other techniques. Um, the way we did it in the 90s in terms of marketing our products, I don't think that's the way we should do it today. Um, I think uh, the way that Uh, A lot of people, uh, and I don't mean to to criticize, but I mean, I think if you just do it like everyone else is doing uh, the the marketing of your product, 
um, I don't think you will attract a lot of attention unless you have a product that is just so good that it, you know, too good to ignore, so to speak. But, uh, you know, that's rarely the case. Um, so I think you need to think outside the box um, and, uh, and, and do things that um, other people aren't uh, and add value. I mean... Do things that add values to people's life, um, and um, but then to go back to your point, Jerry, uh, I would also question, frankly, um, you know, people should think very carefully about shifting from managing, quote unquote, family and friends and and own money to managing really external capital where you need all the regulation and so on and so forth. I mean, there's it's a very and, and as I said before. Um, a lot of people think that the hard part of what we do is developing the models. I'm not so sure that that's the case anymore. I think building businesses, running them, growing them um, is probably the hardest part uh, of, of the CTA side today. Uh, now you need smart people and good ideas to come up with models that are uh, better and, and different and, and, and all of that. I, I, you know, I understand that. But there's a lot of smart people out there who, um, you know, can do that and, and may have done that. But there aren't that many people who can then go and turn that into a business or find someone who can then turn that into a successful business. I see fewer of those, uh, at least. Um, because you never, uh, you never hear anyone who come up with this. Uh, it's all the problem is always, oh, I've got this great model. How do I go and raise a billion dollars? You rarely hear people say, I've got a billion dollars. How do I go and create a good model? So, I, I, you know, so I think it's a very interesting point that you raised, James. Uh, and I think a lot of people are thinking about this. We get a lot of other emails about people who've developed a strategy and they want uh, ideas or help to to get it going um, but it's uh, it's tough we have a friend uh, Peter Borish who works at uh, a firm in New York that tries to find good traders and coach them up and help them become better traders there's ways to make it happen I just think your attitude needs to be uh, how can I fit in with what clients want versus Hey, it's obvious I have something going on here. Give me a lot of money. I'm, you know, <clears throat> can't you see the evidence? And uh, I think back to what you were saying is it's two different skill sets. You have the yeah. strategist and the analyst and the computer guys and the system builders um, who need to partner up with people who are saying, let's um, tone it down and and take your good ideas and make it fit into a strategy that meets the needs of real clients. And I think if you have both of those uh, going on at the same time, but usually you don't. You just have a group of people who are super smart who come up with systems, and it's the dumb clients out there who don't understand how great this is, and they should be buying this. So you have to have a little, you have to have both, because um, ultimately you want to. People have needs, and they're looking for solutions, but we're talking past each other sometimes. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a great point, and I, just as a spontaneous plug, but maybe just to gauge the interest uh, with our audience. Uh, so, if you're out there listening, and you have uh, an interest, uh, a deep interest in what we do, which I hope most of you do have, um, Moritz, Jerry, and I have been contemplating um, doing a live event for a small, small group of people. Maybe 10 of you, maybe 15 of you, but a very exclusive live event 
couple of days where we would get together and try and create some breakthroughs for those of you who are willing to to step up. And uh, we haven't decided uh, for sure, but we uh, we're thinking about it. So, of course, if 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 uh, if there are people out there who say, "Yeah, we we would be up for it," it won't be cheap. Uh, so, it'll definitely have a uh, a decent price tag uh, for us to do it. It'll probably be in the US, or it'll be in Europe, or both, if demand is big enough. Um, but um, you know, if you want to speed up your learning curve uh, from you know all of the years' experience that we can offer as a trio. Um, then let us know. Send us an email, info at toptradersonblog.com and give us your thoughts. Um, so, But it probably will be for a very small group of people who really want to take their trading or their business um, to the next uh, level. With that said, uh, here's a question from uh, Rodney. Um, again, uh, there's a longer email, so I'm going to try and just highlight the, the type of question. I think what... What Rodney is getting at, which I think is a fair uh, point, and that is that we as managers, um, we trade diversified portfolios that include equities. Um, but a lot of investors, uh, including uh, Rod him, Rodney himself, um, have in, e- exposure to equities already through other means uh, or other parts of the portfolio. So what Rodney is asking is, have you ever thought about marketing a trend-following fund that does not include equities? Um, I wonder if this may have both an institutional and a retail appeal. What do you think the performance statistics would look like? Question mark. I mean, I'm happy to go first on this one. Um, so uh, you bring up a couple of good points um, because you 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 bring up the point about the performance statistics and what I can almost say categorically for all trend followers, uh, and that is, if you take out the equities, the performance won't look as good because equities have a diversifying effect uh, in addition to an absolute return effect. So take a year like 2017, you would probably have had a uh, quite a difficult year had you not had the uh, the equities, because equities, um, it, that's where the, all the trends were back then. Um, but I see your, but I understand what you're trying to get at, uh, that when there are strong, strong uptrends in equities, Perhaps investors don't need more equities coming from the trend follower, uh, and I've you know come across that with real clients uh, or potential clients on my side. But I, I, you know, as a trend follower, I would say it's not an i it's not really an idea that I would prefer because I have to look at my product. Uh, I can't control what other people have in their portfolio. Um, and what they do with it. So what I can give them, uh, you know, from a trend-following perspective is the discipline. Uh, It's like uh, a a few years ago when people talked about interest rates and they were saying, a lot of people were saying, well, clearly interest rates can't go any lower, so why would we have any interest rates, you know, at this point? But indeed, they did go lower and the people who made money from that was the disciplined trend-followers sticking to their signals and their models. And I worry that if you, if you, if you take the discipline away uh, from the equity part of, of of the portfolio, you you may potentially leave investors with a, a, a responsibility that they can't fulfill because they may actually, um, you know, trim their own equity exposure at a time where equities are are, are still you know heading higher. So, but I think it's a fair, it's a it's an interesting uh, point. Um, what what do you think, uh, Jerry? 
I'm going to take the opposite point of view on that one. Yeah. I think uh, <clears throat> I think I've said it before. I think the uh, it's it would have been a better strategy, and I think it's unfortunately a better strategy now to uh, totally uh, reject the idea of crisis alpha and ten or five or ten percent or three or two percent to CTAs and uh, <clears throat> some you know somebody other than me needs to sort of. Uh, Pick it, pick it up, and say, "Look, here's for the way we honestly all see it." And I believe we honest. I, th I think there's a lot of people who see it this way, and that is, if you really want crisis alpha, if you really want the benefits of what we do, uh, allocate some of your stock trading to us. Yes, and, and I agree with. Yeah, right. So we're not going to. The it doesn't add up. You don't. They don't really like CTAs. They don't really like trend following. And they want to allocate a small percentage, and then we will help when the stocks sell off temporarily. Uh, and it doesn't work. We don't help. And even if we did help, even if we did catch it just right, then it wouldn't be material to the portfolio. Uh, so now 2008, it was more than just a, a crisis. It was a material. It was a bear market that... Uh, Stocks were down as much as over 50% at one point in 08. So that's a prime situation where we could have, uh, the S&P hit a 200-day low in January of 08. So if CTAs could have managed some of your stock positions, we would have been, uh, the index guys would have crushed it uh, with by getting short to flat in January and the currencies and commodities and uh, interest rates would have helped helped out in that year as well. And I traded uh, single stocks, and I probably would not have been quite as good as being flat to short in January of all my stocks. But still, if you really want us to help, the trend following aspect of what we do is crucial, just as crucial uh, for the stock stocks as it is all the other markets. So uh, we need to, uh, you know, we were talking earlier. Before, about uh, people who like to add CTAs because they really have a lot of stocks. And what do they do? do they, you know, they want us to uh, <laughs> change our strategy, don't trade stocks, which is going to make our portfolio worse in the same way yeah. if we didn't trade commodities, if we didn't trade currencies, if we didn't trade bonds. We're taking away a sector that is profitable. And at some point in time, it may be the only thing that's profitable, the stocks like they have been so in uh, 13 and 14. So mm -hmm. uh, the answer I, is uh, give me some of those stocks to manage and then not only will I be applying my trend following to those stocks and get you in the right ones and get you out of some of them and get short some of them, we'll have the currencies, commodities, and interest rates as well. That's right. So, so you're in a sense taking things a little bit different in, than I am. What I was saying is just I don't think we as trend followers should change our programs to to accommodate that. But what you're saying, which I completely agree with, is actually the investors need to think about their equity allocation differently. They should be doing equities long short. They should allow us to not allow us, but I mean they should they should think about you know a different way than long only. Um, in 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 their overall portfolio for stocks, um, that's is, right. Is how, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, it's not just long only. It's you know, if we only traded stocks, that would be fine as well. It's you know, sure. we're all we're all in the stock market, and 
the trend following overlay on stocks yields different performance and sometimes better, sometimes worse. It's a positive uh, strategy for stocks. And so you add it to more of a buy and hold because, you know, sometimes buy and hold is the only thing that works. Um, Mm -hmm. I had another tweet this week that people liked, but it was um, CTAs enjoy the built-in risk control of trend following uh, as the market goes lower and lower against you, more and more against you, uh, we get out of the trade. The trade becomes worse. We know exactly what to do. It's a worse trade. And for non-trend followers, it becomes possibly a better trade, which right. can kind of spin out of control, continuing to try to get in at a better bargain price. But what I left out was sometimes that works well. Uh, mm. Trying to buy those lows, it's the only thing that will, will work. You know, we've seen these crashes last February. We've, um, end of last year, to getting defensive, going with the trend is what we do. Yet, as soon as we get out or go short, it rallies to new highs. So uh, com- combining this momentum and mean reversion type strategies, don't leave your stocks out. You know, they're, very, they're so important to you, you need to add trend following to them. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks for the question, uh, Rodney. The uh, next question is from Sam. Sam uh, is uh, someone we like. I know you're active supporting us, uh, Sam, uh, in Twitterland especially. So that's great. Appreciate it. Sam has a question a little bit, I think, about, you know, can you have too many things in your portfolio driven by a single driver? Um, so, uh, for example, um, he refers to, you know, if you have a portfolio that is 12% allocated, for example, to FX, and in addition, um, you know, there are some allocations. Uh, let's see. I think what you're trying to get at, uh, Sam, is, you know, uh, when when you look at sector allocations in a trend-following portfolio, is there a risk that's, you know, a lot of it could be driven by, say, for example, currencies, you could have a lot of influence by moves in the FX part and so on and so forth. But I think the I think the answer is that partly one of the reasons why both Jerry and I and and, and Moritz are true believers in diversification is that we we don't want want, I mean, our portfolios to be, you know, too much influenced by a by a by a single driver. Having said that, from time to time you probably can't avoid that. I mean you you, you know, especially uh, we know with the dollar, the dollar can be uh, not only influencing the FX sector, it could influence the commodity sector, and it could theoretically influence both fi- fixed income and, and, and equities from time to time, and maybe sometimes probably at the same time. So I don't think you can avoid that. But so what we, but still, what we do on our side, and I, you know, I think we probably all do that, is that when it comes to uh, looking at position sizing and 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 commitment uh, to any one market. We treat them individually. So, so, so. I mean, if if there isn't anything going on in a particular market, then obviously we won't have exposure to that market. So, so you you need to have the 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 the, the trend, uh, the confidence in the trend strong in order to have a long uh, a large exposure to 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 a market. Um, but of course, in theory, you can certainly have times where you end up with a lot of exposure. Uh, across the board, that potentially could be correlated uh, to a single driver, such as the US dollar. That that is not uh, unreasonable to expect from time to time, and and it could be also, um, you know, another 
could be interest rates that is the single driver that has a big impact on uh, on your portfolio. Uh, maybe not so much on, on commodities, but uh, yeah. Anything you want to add to that, um, Jerry? I'm sure I'm, I messed up the question a little bit. Sorry about that, Tam, but uh, I think that was the question. Yeah, I mean, I thought about this issue when you were saying um, earlier that everyone thinks that the most important thing about a, a, a firm, starting a firm, or is this uh, entries and exits in the system itself. And I think, I thought, yeah, I think people do think that, but I think, uh, in my opinion, something I think that goes uh, not focused on enough is the is the portfolio and um, being very concerned about these different drivers and getting too much of one versus the other. I think mm. um, the, the issue you bring up is just, I think, it's something that I don't want to try to control too much. Uh, you know, um, <clears throat> if I have a diverse group of commodities and I have them, uh, I realize, you know, that maybe the crude and the heating oil unleaded are kind of similar. So I'm going to trade those a little smaller. Uh, the same with the greens. They're kind of correlated. I'm going to maybe do some adjustment there. The metals, gold and silver, platinum, a lot of correlation there. I'm going to adjust that somewhat and uh, just do some things like that uh, because then your cotton, coffee, cocoa, and sugar you know, they're not that correlated to anything else. So uh, don't screw up that correlation, that lack of correlation with uh, trading, uh, you know, too many precious metals or grains. And so I think once you kind of get that scored away and how important that is, um, there's four wheats out there. You're going to trade all four. Mm. This, uh, so you have the same size, you know, as you would trade the corn. I think that's kind of probably something you don't want to do. Uh, but then all of a sudden, if something else, extraneous happens, that uh, they're all kind of, all the commodities are sort of correlated for a period of time. I'm not going to try to uh, figure out a way to, around that. That could just happen, I guess. Um, so I think th there needs to be a lot of thought and emphasis on trying to create a smoother uh, performance out of a systematic approach that has 40% winning trades. And that really needs a lot of markets. We can undermine the number of drivers we have if we don't take into consideration the correlation amongst uh, the euro, the Swiss, the Swedish, you know, and uh, the bond markets that are seemingly are very correlated all of the time. So this is a puzzle that um, is a big part of what I try to work on. To make it a smoother ride, I need to be concerned with, um, you know, what is driving the portfolio. And hey, there are four wheats out there. I guess I should trade all four. I think that th that's a major problem, and it's something that CTA industry has fallen a little short of. We have this diversification, but we have some responsibility. And just because this market exists doesn't mean you have to trade it if it's very similar to something else. Yeah, no, I agree uh, completely. We have another question from Michael, but Michael, your question is relating specifically to something that Moritz said. So since Moritz is uh, quote unquote on assignment this week, I think I'm going to push that to next week or next time he's here. He may also be away next week. We'll see, um, but appreciate the question. Next question is from Is It? And um, his question is, my question relates to a recent article published by Andreas Klino, where he states that it is 
uncommon practice for an institution in the trend following space to add to winning positions. I know that the strategy told by Richard Dennis to the Turtles relied heavily upon adding on to winning positions and I myself have decided to incorporate this element into my own strategy. Well, uh, is it you are in luck because uh, we have someone here, namely Jerry, who can tell you exactly what he was taught by Richard Dennis. I don't know uh, whether whether your statement is accurate or not, but but I will let you take this one, Jerry, and, and tell us about uh, what you were taught uh, about adding to a winning position and uh, and any th- other thoughts you have about this. Yes, yeah, so at the risk of being wrong uh, as to what this person is asking and their experiences, I'm just going to guess that um, this is another one of those situations that is very confusing. Um, And I think that it revolves around a simple concept of uh, multiple systems, entries and exits. So, you know, you buy the 20-day breakout, then if it goes to the 50-day high, you buy the 50-day high. If it goes to 100-day high, you buy more at the 50-day high. So you have three different systems, um, and they all have the same risk profile, they all risk the same amount, and it's just a diversification of entries. And so sometimes you're going to get long all three uh, as the trend keeps going, and sometimes you're going to you know, go long system one at the 20-day high and system two at the 50-day high, and then that's it, it's going to reverse. So there's some diversification, and, and you're not really, uh, you know, each, each one of these three systems is independent. They're not uh, based on the other systems, they're doing their own thing, and yet, all you're just trying to achieve is some sort of uh, diversification in entries. Uh, now, I think adding to a position can also mean um, now that I am in system one, uh, I can afford, from a money management point of view, to buy system two because I have a small profit in system one in this particular market. When the same market gets to the 50 day high, I'll now have enough profit to afford, from a money management point of view, to do this trade. I think that's a wrong, bad concept. Um, you, that's a fleeting profit, possibly, that could uh, go away and you would have uh, two losing trades eventually. We've seen that happen many times, of course. Uh, so adding to uh, adding to markets, yes, if it's part of multiple systems, but um, d- figuring out that uh, a temporary or an open trade profit now affords me um, the ability to go long another market, I think that's what I would think that uh, most people would say, no, that's not proper money management. Uh, trade smaller, so you don't need uh, an open profit to afford um, being able to do the next trade. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I think in the old days, and I, I don't know if that's what I'm going to say is, is is completely accurate, but but I mean, I think in, old, in, in the old days, there were... People uh, talking a lot about whether trend followers were pyramiding their positions, right? And I don't think pyramiding is the right way of describing what we do, at least uh, what what your firm is doing and what we're doing and what Moritz is doing. I mean, we're not pyramiding, but we're doing exactly as you say. We have different systems with different speeds and we allow them to operate individually and independently. And therefore, our positions build up slowly. um, But it's not kind of adding to a winning trade, it is part of the inbuilt diversification of the model that we don't want to enter all our risk at the same time. So we need different 
uh, entry point. So I completely agree with what you said. Um, and hopefully that that is um, helpful. Do you want to add something to that? Uh, I was yeah. just going to say pyramiding, exactly. Pyramiding is bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, pyramiding is no good. That's what that's the word I left out. But yeah, pyramiding versus uh, multiple entries and exits. I'm going to risk uh, 50 basis points divided by three because yeah. I have three different entries uh, versus I'm going to risk 50 basis points on system one totally. And if system one has a profit in it, now I can afford to do <laughs> system two. No, that's pyramiding. Yeah. Uh, money management needs to be more conservative. Definitely, definitely. Yes. Cool. Thanks for the question. Uh, is it uh, final question today? Uh, is from Todd, all the way from Hong Kong, um, and it's kind of it's not directly related, but it's funnily enough a little bit related. And Todd rightly writes in to say, you know, the three of us we often talk, talk, use the terms, you know, long term, short term, medium term, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But long term. Uh, or, or maybe I should uh, do it in the other way around. I mean, short term, what we think is short term might be, you know, medium term for others. And what we think about medium term might be long term for others. I mean, so so he's asking if we could kind of define, um, and we're going to obviously maybe have to come back to Moritz and ask what his definition is, but, but he's asking if we could define how we think about these terms. So, I mean, what is short term? What is medium term? What is long term? Um, have you have you got some kind of ballpark definition that you think about, Jerry, when when you think about sort of time frame? Well, I, I like to when I do the back testing, it uh, you know I sort of have identified uh, what I would consider to be a fruitful area as far as a look back period, and then I think you can just go too far. So I think uh, super long term, maybe not. It would just be defined as not that profitable. So at some point in time, you know, you don't want to look back too far. <clears throat> but I think uh, I would say that a good area to look into is the uh, sort of the golden cross 50 crossing above the 250 or 200 moving average. That's, I think, fairly long term and fairly um, <clears throat> uh, profitable and probably. Shorter, a lot shorter term than that is, you know, it'll just pop up. You just do your back test and you'll see, oh, okay, I see. The average trade is a lot smaller if I, if I start uh, changing those, uh, the 50, 200 moving average crossover to uh, 50, 100 or 150. So I think, you know, the <clears throat> pay attention to the statistics of your back test and maybe the 50, crossing above the 400 maybe that's way too long term so it, it'll pop up right in front of your eyes and i don't think it's that uh material to put a label on it is it medium is it short is it long i mean obviously a few days is short term to me uh, i think that uh, a lot of these strategies like the 50 crossing above the 200 is long term it's profitable and people hate it because it's a you get some big drawdowns in some of the open trade profits so it's probably a, a three great characteristics. <clears throat> it's long term. It makes money, and most people hate it. Yeah, you're probably onto something. <laughs> now, I would go uh, a little bit further, Todd, and say, had you asked me this question 20 years ago, I would probably have a different definition because back then we couldn't. We couldn't. Uh, well, maybe we have to go back a little bit further than 20 years, but back then. 
I would never have thought of, uh, for me, short term would have been, you know, at least a week. I mean, you, you have to have some data points, right? But nowadays with computer power and all of that, of course, short term, you could think, you know, think of that as being intraday or one day or two days. I mean, that's super short term. Um, I think in the trend following, I mean, if we're, and also I, I don't even know if you can say that someone doing intraday trading is a, is a trend follower. Of course, everything is a trend. I mean, on one hand, you can argue that and say, well, we're all buying to sell higher. We're all selling to to buy lower. And, and so we're looking for some kind of directional move. That's a trend, regardless of time frame. So, I, you know, I, I'll accept that. But when I think about trend following, traditional trend following, I think you need a few days, really, in order to to you know do something like that. Uh, now, and so in anything up to a week or two, in my mind, generally is you know that's kind of short term trend following. At least if we add the word trend following to it, and therefore medium term is probably from a few weeks, maybe three weeks, and and a look back period up to uh, you know a few months, maybe three months, and once you start getting past three months look back and and for you know and for further out then you could maybe argue that it's long term even though some people would say long term doesn't start even until you get to 12 months look back and and I can you know that's probably you know that's probably true you know from our point of view when we talk about us being a longer term trend follower you know we're definitely out in the sort of uh probably um you know nine to 18 months worth of look back uh, typically. Now, our look, the reason I'm a little bit vague about it is that we, our systems are not static. So our look back periods can theoretically change and they do change from time to time uh, as part of the systematic approach we have to selection of parameters. Um, but I would say that that's, that's how I would, you know, look at our look back periods. We're certainly out in, in, in you know, uh, Close to a year and 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 further, uh, you know, and 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 we would be classified as a as a long term trend follower. But here comes the caveat: then you can be long term in your look back period, but it doesn't actually mean you have to be slow in in your reaction. Um, and that's certainly something we've worked on. And I know we've touched upon this in the podcast before. And that is, we have made some changes a few years back to allow us a quicker reaction when it comes to uh, how we get out because sometimes we we feel or our research suggests that you have to react more quickly uh, in order to uh, not lose too much money uh, or give back too much of the profit. So, 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 so th- these time frames and, and trying to label managers in a certain box I think has become much harder and maybe I would argue less relevant other than as Jerry suggests, you know, if you just think about people as being short-term, medium-term, long-term, maybe that's good enough conceptually to to just put them in box. But whether they're actually three months or six months, yeah, maybe that doesn't really matter so much because you know we're never going to react exactly the same to to the markets uh, in in the future as we we did to the past. In, in the past, there's always going to be some new data set that will be slightly different. Um, Anything you want to add uh, on that, uh, Jerry, before we head back to the usual programming, so to speak? Yeah, you made a really good point. Uh, so you want to be long-term. You kind of want to be uh, not 
run out of these nice trends, like cotton is a prime example. Right. So there was kind of a uncomfortable rally in cotton, uh, short, short for a long time. Then it rallies like crazy, and you're like, oh, gosh, I hate this long-term stuff because this trend <laughs> is obviously over, but it's not over. You know, the back test is like, nah, you know. It's noise, more noise than not not noise. Yeah. It, you know, it means nothing for this particular trade. But if you handled every single short or long in the same way that you handled a cotton, it's going to be okay if you just want to hold on and have a longer look back period. And then you make a very good point. You know, the whole point is to stay in this trend, stay in this gear. What is the definition of uh, a long-term trend? Could it possibly be long-term like this? And yeah, you know, the computer says, yeah, it's it's okay. It, you know, it's you're going to have uh, some drawdowns from your open profit. You're going to limit these losses to 25 basis points, 50 basis points. Very conservative. We're very uh, interested in these max losses we have. But as far as the fluctuation against uh, the trade itself and our open trade, we're going to be very liberal. And uh, so then at some point, though, it becomes this really nice trade that you've been in for a long time. And uh, because you had a long-term exit, you are still in it, and you've built up this profit. And I think the point that I'm taking away from what you said <laughs> may not be your point, <laughs> but you know, you this long-term exit now could create giving back. You know, all of the profit, too much of the profit, uh, months and months of the profit can go away in a couple of days or weeks, and so uh, you need to figure out how you're going to not allow that to occur. And uh, the long-term exits are fantastic in keeping you in these trends when it's getting going, it's not too much going on, it's not that material, uh, it's not kind of worth it getting out, let's say, but then there will be extreme situations where you'll have crashes or monster rallies where you're like, okay, let's have another um, arrow in our quiver that uh, we can handle situations like this as well. It's the downside of being long-term is that uh, you have more open trade equity all the time than everyone else, but then you also are vulnerable for this give back. How are you going to uh, deal with this? And, and that's exactly right. I mean, I think a lot of people underestimate that when you deal in, in the world uh, that we deal with and other investors deal with, there are so many variables in terms of outcomes that we have to uh, allow for in our research. Um, because uh, because you're right. I mean, sometimes quicker exits works better than slower. But sometimes when you know uh, it's the slower exits that works better than than the quick ones. Um, and I've certainly seen also. I mean, I think we we you know there there's there's also periods where systems that use hard stops uh, works better than systems that use maybe, you know, uh, like we do, a more sort of a valued risk approach and vice versa. Um, there are so many possible outcomes and, 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 and we as trend followers, we're not the same. Um, you know, we all have our small differences and, and so even though on, on the surface correlations might be high, we can see from the data that return disbursement is 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 high as well. That means we we were certainly not doing the same thing. Which is, you know, if you're an allocator out there, um, don't think that one trend follow is enough. I mean, you you need you need several trend followers, in my opinion. Not too many. I can think of three, but no, I mean, not too many. <laughs> 
Not too, <laughs> not too many, of course. Uh, I don't think that's necessary in the same space. But you need you need to also to diversify when it comes to to your trend following uh, exposure for sure. Yes. Um, let me quickly run through performance to date for the industry, and then we can come back to maybe some final thoughts for this week. Um, so this is as usual. This is numbers that came in as of Thursday evening. Um, and I think Friday was a good day. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing um, it was a good day for us. I'm guessing that probably other trend followers did well. Um, B top fifty down one point seven one for the month uh, of May, up three point one two for the year. Stock Gen CTA index down one point six nine for the month, up two point two five for the year. Stock Gen Trend Index down 2.2 for the month and up 4.85 for the year. And the Short Term Traders Index uh, down 57 basis points for the month and down 2.65 for the year. And the Bridge Alternatives Index um, down 1.16, up 2.95 for the year. Um, I think before I, any final thoughts, but also before we kind of wrap up, you know, I want to repeat just what I said earlier today. This um, uh, thought experiments that Moritz, Jerry, and I are having at the moment. You know, if you think that uh, an intensive uh, weekend uh, of of learning uh, from the three of us, uh, putting together our decades of experience, uh, helping you uh, create breakthroughs, either as a someone who wants to learn more about uh, trend following from a trading perspective, someone who might want to learn about you know how to build a business uh, from your you know from what you've got etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, between the three of us we've we've done that uh, for a long time and 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 uh, if you think it would be worth uh, coming and spending a weekend with us um, as we consider doing uh, an event like that then then let us know send send us an email at info at toptradersunplugged.com so we can gauge whether there is an interest for um, for for doing this, and as I said, you know, be prepared that there will be a price tag uh, for 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 it. Um, but um, let's see if there's enough people who would uh, want to um, to sit down with us uh, in a small group uh, setting. Any final thoughts, uh, Jerry, as we um, as we begin to wrap up? Uh, well, I think. Um, last week was a good uh, learning, you know, lesson. We keep uh, needing to learn the same lessons over again. And I think uh, the one of the most important things to always say about systematic rules-based trend trading is you can't predict the markets. No one can predict. Uh, limit up today can be limit down tomorrow in the same market. I've seen it a million times. And uh, as bearish as, you know, and as bad as we were feeling uh, last week with the stocks going down, it's pretty obvious they're going to crash now. It's This is the same thing we've seen, uh, sitting on your hands and waiting for those exits that, for the most part, never occurred in my stocks uh, and watching them rally from, you know, unable to explain why they're going down, you know, and the panic that was setting in over something like trade that is going to play out over a long period of time. And then all of a sudden seeing it rally uh, just reinforces that stick with your entries and exits and your rules because you really can't predict. Minimize your regret, um, and you're you're going to have more regret by not following your systems. Fade the fundamentals. 
uh, whenever possible. Whenever possible. Be happy to do that. <laughs> no, I think that's a valid, I mean, I think this is a super good point to make uh, and leave you with. And actually it goes even to the point about trend following as a strategy. I mean, you know, in the doldrums of the fall of last year and everybody being unhappy, I mean, we've now had, you know, four or five months of of really solid performance from from the industry, from individual managers. And, uh, you know, uh, you just have to be disciplined enough on all levels to uh, to to stay with what uh, works. And and again, just like uh, I mentioned earlier, where there's really not been a, a white paper ever written to disprove the old Dr. Lindner, uh, you know, uh, analysis and, and, and thesis, um, you know, Ray Dalio uh, has made this point as well. I mean, the secret to his success uh, has been the diversification across uncorrelated return streams. And uh, if there's anything that is uncorrelated over time to equities and bonds, it really is a diversified trend-following uh, strategy. So we hope to be back with our usual lineup uh, next week, um, but it could be that uh, Moritz is out uh, next weekend as well. But if he is, then Jerry and I will be happy to wave the flag here. And uh, so send us your questions as usual uh, to info at toptradersonplug.com. Yeah, on that note, I think we'll wrap up this uh, conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you did like what you heard, of course, we always ask for you to consider leaving a rating and review uh, on iTunes. Um, we can't get enough of those. And the reason being, it really helps the uh, Apple algorithm uh, to detect our little podcast and to to feature it well in the rankings, which means uh, a lot more people will discover it and and enjoy and not enjoy but join our hopefully enjoy but join our our little trend following crusade here. So, from Jerry and me, thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with you. Uh, on next week's edition of The Systematic Investor. And in the meantime, we hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening to The Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.